It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cartman Cross Credit Union, where a student loan can help you finance your further education. Call to Cartman Cross Credit Union on Neal Street or at cartmancrosscu.ie. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday morning, the 21st of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. On Friday, you'll have the opportunity to exercise your democratic right. The polls will open here at 7am and voting will begin to elect 13 MEPs. We'll be voting to fill just 11 MEPs' seats. That's the Irish allocation out of the 750 seats in the European Parliament. That's immediately, while two others will also be elected but will only take their seats after Brexit. There's about 950 councillors to elect national and a referendum on divorce to vote on as well as plebiscides which are to be held in Cork, Limerick and Waterford. Let's talk about where we're at at this stage of the campaigns with Sean Defoe, our political correspondent. Good morning to you, Sean, and thanks for joining us. It's very busy, obviously. It's very interesting, uh, but it's not particularly exciting, is it? Uh, No, it hasn't really captured the imagination, you'd say, these elections, certainly not compared to five years ago when you had, you know, the back of the number of austerity budgets, you had water charges, you had a number of big issues that kind of took over. There's been a few big issues talked about during this campaign, housing, climate, other things, but not in the same pressing or vexatious manner as they were before. So it's not really lit up yet. And I think the debates the last two nights with the mad field of candidates that we've had and the sheer numbers of it in terms of the European selections anyway have, you know, again, failed to really ignite. So a low-key enough going into the final three days. And I'd say uh, there may even be some people who will go into the ballot box on Friday not 100% sure on what they're voting on and why there's three or four ballots even Mm. in some areas in front of them. All right, uh, and I suppose there's some people who won't go into the ballot box, and that's an important question in itself, isn't it? Uh, what kind of a, a, a turnout uh, will, uh, dep- will, will define uh, what kind of a, a result? That's it, and we've been kind of used to a few large turnouts recently, you know, when you took a look at the abortion referendum, you look at the same-sex marriage referendum, even the last election wasn't too bad. The midterm elections tend to draw a smaller crowd of people out anyway to vote in them, but I think this time it will be even smaller again. Certain areas obviously have certain issues, and it's interesting, I suppose, in terms of the local elections, what kind of a turnout we get for those, because they are very much being fought on more local issues than they were maybe five years ago when the national tended to dominate. So it's, you know, what are you doing 
for my area, what about the mm. road down the corner, How? when are we getting our broadband, these things that are, are more localised, and it'll be interesting to see whether that's enough to get people out to vote, but I'd say it will be quite a low turnout on uh, on Friday. And uh, as you say, there were big issues last time around, uh, and a lot of anger last time around. In 2014, I suppose uh, Fine Gael, uh, took a, a drubbing and took responsibility for the anger that people were feeling at the time. If people aren't as angry this time around, should it be a better election for them? I'm not sure it will be a totally better election for them. The government parties don't tend to do well at the midterms, and it's interesting to see what the narrative from Fine Gael has been at the start of this campaign. They were saying they want to take back and become the largest party in local government again. Fianna Fáil overtook them in that department last time out, and they really did get a drubbing, as did Labour. The last uh, local elections caused Eamon Gilmore to resign as party leader, you remember, after they got such a kicking. But now the narrative from Fine Gael certainly has turned to, well... Government parties always get a kicking at the midterm elections and we're probably going to hold what we have and that's a victory for us. So already they're spinning on it has slightly changed and most people, either in Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil or Sinn Féin, don't think there's going to be a hugely different shake-up for the big parties that will probably end up roughly similar to where we are in terms of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. It's some of the other parties who may have a bit of a comeback, like what will be interesting to watch at local level will be the likes of people for before profit, for example, and solidarity, who won quite a lot of seats last time out relative to their, to their size because of that anti-austerity vote and the anger that was out there. And then, in many cases, have spent the time on local councils blocking things or not cooperating with other people. It'd be interesting to see if that does affect how they get on. In Dublin and some of the commuter belt counties, in, perhaps in Loud and Mead as well, the... Uh, Greens and Labour are showing quite strong on the doors and they'd be expecting to make a little bit of a comeback here. There's a few young candidates in for Labour who are untainted, if you like, by their time in government and they're hopeful of getting them elected and the Green Party is enjoying quite a bounce in the polls as well. If you were going by the polls last weekend, they might even get two MEP seats. They're certainly in the shake-up for it. So it'll be interesting to see how much their revival comes along and whose expense it's at. Uh, a bad outcome, uh, as uh, you remind us, can lead uh, to party leaders needing to step down. Uh, how important is this election for the current leaders? I think it's quite important for the three main leaders anyway, in terms of Leo Varadkar and Mary Lou MacDonald. It's their first proper electoral test. I know Sinn Féin contested the presidential election, but that was a very different personality-led sort of election. This is their their first real test in front of the people to try and get elected. Neither of them were chosen as party leader by people, but rather by the parties themselves, and in Leo Varadkar's case, as Taoiseach. So he'll be wanting quite a strong showing, or at least to, to hold the seats there, and it will be an important indicative, indicative vote for him. In terms of Michal Martin, it's interesting again, because mm. you're talking about the, in the, everything in the context of a general election that's probably going to come in the next year, depending on who you talk to in Leinster House, a lot of people think it could be this September. A lot of people think April 2020. Those are the two dates that are really standing out at the moment. So that's looming over everything here and kind of putting a different gloss on the the local and European elections than we'd usually have. Michal Martin needs a, a pretty strong vote. He got it last time. He got it in 2016 as well. But his next general election will likely be his last as leader. So for him to get a strong result here and a strong result in the Europeans where they currently have no MEPs after Brian Crowley left the party uh, would be, you know, it's quite, it's kind of needed. He does need a, a good vote here to give them a bit of a, a 
bit of a boost going into that general election whenever it is. Changing the constitution is usually something that uh, causes a, a lot of discussion and debate and quite often heated debate. Uh, but there's been very little talk about the referendum on divorce. Why is that, do you think, Sean? Yeah, it's been a very quiet one. I think there's not been a hugely concerted no campaign against it. I mean, there has been small pockets of it. David Quinn, some of the bishops coming out yesterday and saying we need to have a, a, a conversation about this, but that's very late in the game. So certainly from a broadcaster point of view, we're always seeking for balance and are legally entitled to make sure there's balance in these discussions. It's been hard for broadcasters to balance that out by having a yes and a, a no side on. So mm. that instantly led to, to fewer debates on it from that point of view. But also, it's just kind of got lost in the noise. There's so many different things that people are voting on and so many people asking people to think about things that they're not hugely interested in. I think once people make the argument, there seems to be a trend that, OK, yeah, this isn't a bad idea. Actually, everyone knows someone who's been divorced or has had to wait a long time for a divorce at this stage. And we see figures that it's, it's no longer a Dublin thing either. This morning, Carlo outpassing Dublin for the amount of, of divorces. So it is, you know, a very much an issue for people. I get the sense that it will pass. Usually these referendums don't when there isn't a huge amount of discussion about them, but it's not a totally unreasonable prospect being put to people. So it will be interesting to see how that one goes. But so far, still very quiet. There are one or two radio debates to come this week, but not a huge amount of interest stirred up in it either. Indeed. Uh, we'll have a, a debate on uh, the divorce referendum on the programme tomorrow and uh, undoubtedly we'll be hearing, uh, as you said a, a moment ago, why uh, it uh, can be cruel on people uh, to make them wait when it's not necessary and it's going to happen anyway. And we'll also be hearing uh, the other side of uh, that, ar- that argument, which uh, this is anti-marriage and uh, is encouraging divorce and will lead to quickie divorces uh, as well. Uh, there's plebiscites uh, to be held in Cork, Limerick and Waterford. Uh, what's the difference between a plebiscite and a referendum? A plebiscite isn't legally binding on the government, so it's only an indication of a vote, essentially, to say, yes, we would like that to happen, and then the government could go away and prepare legislation and actually make it happen. So even if these votes were to pass, the government doesn't actually legally have to do anything on it. So this is a vote about whether people want to vote in the future. They're voting on whether they want to elect Lord Mayors in the future. Yeah, I don't think they'd have to have a second vote. The legislation could just be brought in or the changes mm. could be made to local government. So it is effectively a vote to say whether you'll have it or you'll not have it. But it also gives the government a bit of freedom in that they won't be completely bound by the decision either way or say if the government wants to collapse, another one could come in and say that they change uh, their minds. It's a strange one in that it's only been done in three of the five cities. At the moment, it isn't being done in Dublin, it's not being done in Galway, and, and many people were thinking that these were going to be a, a trial run of doing it in Dublin, where obviously it would be a much bigger prospect because of the amount of councils there and because of the, the mm. sheer population. But the government really hasn't invested at all in this debate. It's been very quiet in Cork, Waterford and Limerick about it. The only discussion really has been about the money, because the pay for the new Lord Mayor, where they'd come in, would be akin to a junior minister. That's about 130000 plus mm. uh, two advisors, plus a car, plus expenses. So you're talking about quite a significant salary package. And it's also not made entirely clear what powers that person would have as opposed to the CEO of the council. And the CEOs of the council have a huge amount of power at the moment in budgets and planning decisions and, and all that, of course, with mm. having to get support of the council then to vote them through. So people aren't entirely sure where that split of power comes. Does the CEO still get their 
quite nice six-figure salary as well as this person? Would some celebrity candidates, for example, I'm a Waterford man myself, and I'm sure John Milana get quite a vote if he decides to vote for mayor. But I'm not sure I'd back his fiscal decisions as opposed to his hurling decisions mm. on the field. So there's quite a few concerns people have around there. The word I'm getting back from talking to different TDs is that Cork might pass more history with a Lord Mayor and kind of understand it a bit better as a role. Waterford and Limerick probably set to fail in those votes. All right. And what would that mean? Uh, would that mean that Cork would get the opportunity to elect a Lord Mayor and the other two cities wouldn't or what? Yes, the government could go ahead with that. And that's mm. one of the fears. And some of them as well who are voting for promoting a yes vote is that, well, if you don't do it in Waterford and Limerick and Cork do it, then they're going to have an automatic advantage because they've got this quite powerful politician. It's been described as the most powerful politician not at the cabinet table in the country, mm. if it were to, to come through. And that would obviously give Cork an advantage in pitching for money and pitch, you know, lobbying ministers or, or whatever. So there is that risk from a point of view of the other counties. But they could go... A, go ahead and do it in one and not do it in the other or do it in two and not do it in one depending on how the votes fall it could lead to to quite a strange scenario where you've got some councils with mayors and some not and then another question that that comes up is how for example we're Cork dealing with Louth or Meath County Council for example who becomes the equivalent do they deal with the CEO do they deal with the mayor who doesn't have the same powers as them or isn't on their level you know there's quite a lot of complicated nuance to it that hasn't really been thought through or explained in the campaign All right, uh, and uh, when we talk about the European Parliament uh, elections, uh, is there much point, uh, given how few seats Ireland has? uh, 11 seats, uh, it would seem, to begin with, possibly 13, but out of 750? Yeah, but the way the European Parliament works, though, it's not necessarily that Parliament and that 750 MEPs where the influence is wielded. A huge amount of the votes that go to the Parliament are pre-decided anyway by the groups. Where the work that the MEPs do comes in is on the different committees that they're on. So the Agriculture Committee, for example, or Committee on Climate Change and Transport. And that's where a lot of the big decisions get made and then referred on to the Parliament for a simple ratification. And that's where the MEPs have to build up relationships with their colleagues from across Europe to try and get a decision done. And Mm. some of those decisions can really affect everyone and can have quite a positive or negative effect. For example, the one big thing the Parliament did in the last five years was the abolition of roaming charges. And, you know, anyone who's going abroad will feel that and will benefit from that and would largely think it's a good thing. Another big one that will be coming up now is is CAP and the farmer funding, where suddenly the huge amount of money the UK was paying into the budget is gone and that hole has to be made up from somewhere. So how is it made up or payments cut or whatever? And having Irish MEPs on that agriculture committee, as well as the commissioner who we currently have, Phil Hogan, whether he gets another term or not is another discussion, um, could have quite a bit of influence. So there is a chance there certainly for Irish MEPs to, to use a bit of influence. And some of the ones who've gone there in the last five years, we have seen do that and make a shake. This has probably been the European Parliament, where Ireland's got the most attention throughout the lifespan of the European Parliament because of Brexit and the different machinations of that through Jean-Claude Juncker and the good relationships that Andy Kenny and Neil Varadkar built up, but also the MEPs then behind the scenes. All right. Uh, and what about Brexit? Uh, because that's uh, important in all of this. Uh, the government uh, is uh, to hear more from Simon Coveney, who's to bring a, a memo to Cabinet t- today. Uh, the British government are to meet in Westminster to uh, get back up and running in the next two weeks. And uh, they're talking about a, a series of indicative votes a- again, or a series of options that they may be choosing from. Uh, but as things stand, I think the deadline is the 31st of October. If we're to elect two MEPs who won't take their seats until after Brexit, does that mean it'll be November at the earliest before they'll take their seats? 
Yeah, it could well be all right if they don't leave before then that uh, they won't get into November and there's still a lot of bits that haven't been clarified like for example are they going to get paid both salaries in that time the salary that they had before that they had now if a TD is elected can they still sit as a TD until October until they have to slot into that European role or do we have to have a by-election which could have a big impact on the, the dull mm. arithmetic there's you know quite a few things that haven't been worked out on that but the rule at the moment is until UK people have literally vacated the seats. You can't take them. So that could be into November, yeah. All right, well, we're in the closing days now, obviously, of all of uh, the campaigns. Uh, we go into the weekend. We'll be voting on Friday. Uh, when will we uh, start to get some results, do you think? Oh, there's quite a bit of counting to be yep. done. I think it could be a very long weekend, but it depends on where you're going. So, for example, Saturday night, we'll probably know the divorce referendum. That's going to be counted then. We might have the first few ballots in, or first few across the post, in terms of the local elections and know who's there. But they, I mean, you know the way these go. In some, some counties might have them done by Sunday night or Monday, and some will still be counting on Wednesday or Thursday, depending on the few of the candidates. The European elections can't declare even a first count until 10 o'clock on Sunday night because that's the agreed European times. You're looking at Monday or Tuesday at least before they're finished and Monday is when the plebiscites are being counted. So Monday afternoon we'll probably know the votes on mayors but uh, I'd say wrap the sandwiches up Michael will be in the count centre quite a while. (laughs) Very good. All right, thanks for that Sean and uh, for the analysis Sean Defoe our political correspondent. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to the ongoing gangland feud. No, not that one. Uh, another one, although they're all probably connected uh, by the drugs trade. Uh, this one started in Crumlin and uh, Drimna and has ended up in Mount Joy. Fat Freddy, A Gangster's Life, uh, The Bloody Career of Freddie Thompson is a book by Stephen Breen, which has just been published by Penguin Ireland. And uh, Stephen, uh, well known to listeners of the programme as crime editor with the Irish Sun joins us now. A very good morning to you, Stephen, and thanks for joining us here on the programme. Thank uh, you, Michael. This is a notorious character that you're writing about. It's a, a story of a life of crime and violence and began in 1997 with his first court appearance. Yeah, he was just 16 when he was charged uh, with public order and that related to him uh, being involved in a young gang of thugs in the Crumlin and Trimna area and they would have been intimidating local residents there, issuing threats and from then on um, he uh, appeared in court again on numerous public order offences before his criminal career uh, took off and he then escalated for him being charged with assault uh, in which he stabbed a man with a screwdriver, a completely innocent man who who was outside a a, a house in in Harrington Street in Dublin. He stabbed him, and from then, when his best friend uh, was killed in 2001, uh, Declan Gavin, um, he was involved in a a bitter gangland feud because he was, by that stage, by 2001, heavily involved in drugs importation and drugs distribution. And from then on, he just embarked on a cycle of violence where Mm. there were people killed, uh, intimidation, uh, bombs fired at homes, cars damaged, and that was his life for for the next 20 years. It was the sort of thing that we're seeing in Drogheda at the moment, I suppose. Uh, and am I right in thinking uh, that Crumlin and uh, Drimna, uh, which are 
pretty much uh, the same area in Dublin, in around the Dublin 8 uh, part of uh, the city, uh, were fairly rough areas uh, back in the 1970s, uh, but mm-hmm. both areas had matured and uh, were very different, I think, in the early 90s. And then it was this new wave of youngsters uh, who seemed uh, fearless, uh, such as Freddie Thompson that came forward at that time. That's right, it was a working class area, but it had been um, throughout the 70s and 80s, and you know, there was a lot of Republican activity there uh, as well. But then when the drugs industry took hold in, in Crumlin, and you had the Dunn family there, and when they, one of the, Larry Dunn was convicted, he said, if you think we're bad, wait, you see what's coming next. And he was referring to people like Freddie Thompson and uh, Brian Radigan, who showed um, no respect for humanity, uh, had, had disregard for any anyone's life. The only thing that mattered to them was greed uh, and power and money. And and to obtain their objectives, they were willing to use violence and extreme forms of violence, and that included killing people, that included maiming people, and you know, terrifying families and leaving families uh, destroyed because they just didn't care about anything or anyone. And even in the book, um, I refer to very often Freddie Thompson's conversations with Gardy when he was being stopped, when he was out uh, walking the streets or out, you know, threatening and sh- flexing his muscles, and where he said, "If you think, you know, uh, John Gilligan's bad, I'm going to be the next bi- big thing, and you guys are going to be busy then." And that's a prophecy which did come true because from 2001 onwards, in relation to the Crumlin and Drimna feud, he he was heavily involved in in, in murder. He was orchestrating murders. He was in, involving in, in logistics and cars. In, personnel, but it's only in 2016 when he gets arrested for murder and uh, he's subsequently found guilty. Why is he called Fat Freddy? He was called Fat Freddy by, by his rivals uh, when, he, when he was younger because he was carrying a, a bit of weight. He's now lost that weight mm, okay. since he went to prison. And that was a name which just, which just stuck with him. You know, the media used it as well. Uh, and that's what he was, um, he was, he was known as. Like, like many of his rivals also had um, nicknames as well. And you look at one of his rivals, even though he was involved in a feud with Brian Radigan, another feud he was involved in was with Declan Duffy. Wacker Duffy, you know, who'd be known to your listeners as an INLA man from Armagh. Um, he was operating in Dublin at the time. He was looking for money from the drugs gangs. Thompson refused to pay up. So uh, that's why he was involved in a feud with um, uh, with Duffy. And you have another INLA man from Dundalk there who was apparently recruited by Duffy to take out Thompson. But like, Thompson, throughout the many feuds he was involved in, he managed to survive. And, and that's why the Kinnahan cartel turned to him uh, in relation to their feud with the Hutch gang. And what's Freddie Thompson's relationship with the Kinnahans and with the Hutches? Yeah, well, he, he's from the same area um, as, as the, the, the Kinnahan guy uh, from, from South Dublin, South Inner City Dublin, so he would have grown up with these guys. His cousins, including David Byrne, who was killed in the Regency, his first cousin um, was very close to the Kinnahan cartel as well. They were key members. And I remember when we did a, a last book, my colleague and I, Owen Conlon, on the Kinnahan cartel, the Spanish files said that Freddie Thompson was just one step below Daniel Kinnahan in, in terms of you know, seniority within this criminal guy. So uh, they, the, the Kinnahan cartel paid for him to go to Spain in 2008 uh, when he was on the run from the Declan Duffy's gang. He underwent a bodyguard training, surveillance training, weapons training. So he did cement a, a key position in that cartel, and that's why they did turn to him when their um, feud with the Hutch gang started. But also, you know, in the book, I also detail how Freddie Thompson was very close to Gary Hutch. 
and also other members of the Hutch family uh, go, going back. So they really were one part of, of one gang. Mm. They were working together, everything was, was going well, but then when greed and power and para- paranoia took hold, that's when things changed. And when, when Gary Hutch was killed, Freddie sided with his old school friends. Right, uh, and uh, I suppose uh, we've been living with uh, reports of uh, the history that uh, ensued from that uh, uh, and uh, the killings and uh, the different gangland uh, aspects of life in this country as a a result. How many killings would you say are linked with uh, Freddie Thompson? Well, in terms of the Crumlin Drimna feud, Gardy would put down 16 uh, lives. And then when you look at the ongoing Kinahan and Hutch feud, you're talking uh, at least 18 lives, because it's hard to quantify if, he, if certain killings were linked or as part of that feud. So you have th- those two sets of numbers, and then you have other killings as well. But let's, let's think as well about the people who have died from drugs overdoses, you know, the people mm-hmm. who have died from stress, from pressure, coming under intimidation from people like uh, Freddie Thompson. So he's caused untold damage uh, you know, to the people of Ireland. But this is all over Ireland because of the Kinahan Gainer bringing in drugs. This is going to Drogheda. This is going to Dundalk as well. It's going to Limerick. It's going to Cork. So it's, it's hard to quantify um, the damage that he's caused. But thankfully now, because of the, the Garda investigation, into his activities and he's now behind bars Uh, and he wrote to his partner about his son from behind prison walls asking that he wouldn't end up like himself yeah, that was in, in 2006 where um, he was serving time for that assault of that completely innocent man. He was stabbed with, with a screwdriver and uh, the, the letters did indicate that he was willing to change his ways. He, he wanted to be there for his family and he just wanted to focus on his family and wanted to, uh, for his family to help you know, his son grow up. You know, not to be like him, and just for his, for him to, to devote his life to his family. But as soon as he was out of prison, he, mm. he was on on the path of destruction once again. Were you surprised reading those letters? Uh, I, I mean, it, it doesn't uh, sound like uh, the sentiment uh, that you'd expect uh, from somebody as ruthless as Fat Freddy, as, Fre- as Freddie Thompson uh, appears to be. He uh, wrote to his partner at the time saying he wanted to put it all behind him and uh, that when he got out that they could get away somewhere, just uh, the three of them. Uh, and all he wanted to do was to get out to do that. Well, ultimately, he, he, was, he, he wasn't telling the truth because that, that never happened and he didn't pursue that objective. And there are other times where, like Brian Radigan, who's a notorious criminal here involved in drug dealing, serving life for manslaughter now, he also wrote similar letters to um, his former girlfriend uh, when he was in prison and declaring his love for her and, and declaring that he would go on the straight and narrow. But I think it's just because, you know, he, obviously he, he did love his, um, his, his partner in terms of Thompson, um, but they have a, a devout loyalty to to the family, to the partners, to those close to them. Nobody else matters. They're the only people that matter to them. So um, it doesn't surprise me that he, he did this because he was shown a different side to him, but the, the devotion is always there. But when it comes to other people who aren't part of the inner circle, who aren't part of his, his friendships, his, his close circle, they're just non-entities. They, they, they have no relevance to Thompson whatsoever. And uh, I think when he was arrested and imprisoned, uh, there would have been great hope, Stephen, uh, that that would have uh, had positive consequences. But in the way that Freddie Thompson came up after John Gilligan, who came up after the Dons, uh, I take it uh, that he's been replaced by others and uh, this is an ongoing problem as such. 
It's an ongoing cycle. I mean, he, he is now off the streets. He's been a key criminal, an active criminal for, from 1997 until last year uh, when he was uh, sent to prison for life uh, for, for murder. That's the first time he was ever convicted for, uh, of a serious offence of that nature. But when he, when he goes to prison, he's no longer any use to the Kinahan cartel. So they're going to need someone else to continue their activities. Although they are in Dubai and they're, they're overseas, the, the activities are still going on, the drug dealing is still going on. And it just takes someone else younger and who, who wants to be the new Fat Freddy to step into his shoes. And that's the unfortunate cycle we have, even in Drahada, Dundalk, wherever it is, there is always someone out there willing to, to step into the shoes and you know, lead a life of criminality and for, for financial gain. And, and that's that's all that can, concerns these people. Okay, well, you give great insight uh, into that life and lifestyle in the book Fat Freddy, A Gangster's Life, The Bloody Career of Freddie Thompson. It's uh, published by Penguin Ireland at €18. Euro, and thank you indeed, Stephen Breen, the thank author, you, for joining us this morning. Michael Reed on LMFM. On uh, the 24th of May, or on Friday of uh, this week, you'll be asked to vote in uh, the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. In this constituency, there are 17 candidates hoping to take one of uh, the four seats in the European Parliament and in between now. And Friday, we're hoping to speak with all 17 of the candidates. Today, we're joined by Matt Carthy, who's a sitting MEP for Sinn Féin, and he joins us in studio. You're very welcome and thanks morning, for coming Michael. in to us uh, this morning. Uh, you'd be well known, uh, I think, to our listeners. Uh, so perhaps uh, you'd begin by telling us why you want to be returned. I think my record in the European Parliament is one that I can stand over. It's in fact one that I've been um, proud to be able to articulate to the people of this constituency on the biggest issue that has affected Ireland over the course of this parliamentary term, which was of course Brexit. Sinn Féin delivered. We were the people who ensured that Ireland was brought essentially to the centre of the Brexit negotiations. There are a number of key issues that are coming up in a very short space of time. The European budget in which key elements of that budget that are important to Ireland are proposed to suffer a cut. So the Common Agriculture Policy, cohesion funding, lots of community Mm. funding streams. There's suggestions that they will be cut, but at the same time that Ireland will pay hundreds of millions of additional money into the European budget in order to facilitate a payment of €13 billion towards um, the Common Defence Fund, the euphemism for a European army. There's also a very important piece of legislation which is called the EU Directive on Non-Performing Loans. Essentially, I call it the Vulture Funds Directive, because essentially it is a piece of legislation at the EU level that will make it easier for the banks to sell on their loans. I was successful in frustrating that passage of that legislation before the end of this parliament. It's going to come up very early on. I want to have a strong mandate in order to essentially try and clip the wings of the vultures as opposed to allow them to have a further free reign. And of course, Brexit's going to continue to be a big issue. And I think Mm. it's important that people like myself and the Sinn Féin team of MEPs who have a strong record are returned so that we can continue to fight for Ireland in the European Parliament on those issues. And why is it then that you hope to give up the seat if you are returned to, to take a seat in the Dáil? Well, I don't know what will happen. Um, but that, right. is, that, that is your hope, is it not? No, I was, I was selected last year to run for mm. a general election in the Cavan Monaghan constituency. That, of course, was in the expectation that an election would take place. And um, all of these things will be taken in the round. I'm trying to be as honest with people as possible. Mm. It is a possibility that I'll be running in the well, general you election. Tell, you can tell us what your hope is. No, my hope is that I get to play a role in articulating and advancing the political priorities that I believe are needed in order to change the direction of this country and to deliver for the people of Ireland. Mm. So at the moment, 
unquestionably the best place I can do that is in the European Parliament because that's the vehicle that's available to me. Um, what will happen over the course of this five years, I don't know and nobody knows. So like, if you look at the current batch of MEPs, all of them have been in one political institution and sought election to another. Mm. The only difference between me and all of those is that I'm upfront with people to say that it's a possibility but my political priorities will remain the same and what I'm asking people to do in, on Friday okay. is vote on the basis of my track record of work and on the Sinn Féin policy mm. platform, a policy platform that has delivered in Europe and that we will continue to deliver if we have the opportunity to be represented in the Parliament. Okay, but if there is to be a general election, you'll hope to stand as a candidate. In fact, if there's a by-election, if Brendan Smith is to be elected, you may even stand then. Uh, if you No, I think timing will be important. For So, for example, if there was a by-election mm. within six months, That's um, I don't think mm. I would run in the by-election because I think the time frame would be too short to deliver on the issues that I've outlined Mm. Um, and then in a general election a conversation would have to take Mm. place both within the party I would have to look in terms of whether or not um, there are immediate priorities at a European Mm. Parliament level and if there are I wouldn't run I wouldn't I've I've never ran away and then there would be the domino effect though because Darren O'Rourke would be co-opted into your European seat and somebody else would be co-opted into his Meath County Council seat the European Parliament elections I think people need to understand this Mm. is is based on a list system and that's why it's important that people look at the policies of the parties as opposed to the representatives of the parties because what we are putting forward is a Sinn Féin policy platform. I've been selected to run in this election because I'm best placed to articulate that because Mm. I've been at the coalface in terms of European politics. So when people vote for me though, they're voting for Sinn Féin policies. In the same way as if somebody on Friday decides they're going to vote for a Fine Gael candidate essentially what they're doing is voting for Fine Gael's housing policies and health policies um, and the fact that people in this region are paying the highest childcare mm-hmm. costs of anybody in Europe, all of those things need to be taken into consideration. This isn't about personalities. Don't vote for somebody, including myself, just because you think we're nice people. Vote for us on the basis of the policy platform we're articulating because that's what, in truth, your vote means. All right. Uh, is there going to be a Brexit? It's really hard to know and we've discussed Mm. this quite some time. Mm. We're working on the assumption that there will be and we're working on the assumption that that creates huge challenges for the people of Ireland. I've heard some of the candidates in this race talk about Brexit as a Y2K Mm. scenario that it will never happen. Brexit is already real for this region. Jobs have been lost. Investment has been um, stalled or postponed. Um, So Brexit is already really real. Farmers have already suffered in terms of the price they've been receiving for their product. So there already has been an impact of Brexit. Whether or not that impact will become worse um, or more um, sharp in terms Mm. of what it could mean, we don't know. It Um, seems the biggest obstacle to the United Kingdom leaving the European Union is the position the United Kingdom has taken on leaving without a deal. Uh, The Parliament has voted uh, against any such prospect uh, and uh, Theresa May will come back in a couple of weeks' time, I think, uh, and ask people to vote on a series of options uh, as they're putting another set of indicative votes. Uh, But it, it seems unlikely that they'll be able to agree on anything. If they do, Europe may not agree to that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then that just brings us back to square one again, either pushing the date out or the talk of a referendum or a general election. Yeah, British politics is in a mess. Mm. They have never been able to articulate a position in relation to Brexit that wasn't entirely contradictory. And Ireland obviously was a big part of that because the biggest contradiction of all was Theresa May's assertion that she was going to withdraw Britain from the customs union, take mm. the north of Ireland with it, and at the same time avoid any hardening of the border in mm. Ireland. 
at the, they've never been able to square that circle or answer that contradiction. And our responsibility as a team in the European Parliament was to ensure that we put forward proposals under which we could actually try and deal with the convolution that the British have come up with. And what we, we proposed was, we call it special status. Um, in, a, in essence, it became the backstop. That didn't happen by mm-hmm. accident. That happened primarily because Sinn Féin MEPs um, articulated and brought to the European Parliament and the other institutions mm. the need to protect the Good Friday Agreement in all of its parts, the need to ensure that the unique circumstances of the island of Ireland mm. was protected. And that's how Ireland became central to and the And now they're talking about an alternative to the uh, backstop. Is it possible to come up with an appropriate uh, alternative uh, that ticks all the boxes? No. Um, in terms of, we can call it something mm. else, and there can be difference in terms of the political language, but the backstop is the least worst option. Mm. It doesn't actually answer all of the concerns regarding Ireland. It doesn't solve all of the issues around citizens' rights, particularly northern citizens. Mm. It doesn't deal with the issue of services on an all-Ireland basis, a hugely important sector for lots of jobs in Loud and Mead. Um, And so there's lots of areas that will remain unaddressed, even if the backstop is adhered to. But the backstop in itself is the bottom line and that's why we need to ensure that we have an All-Ireland team of MEPs, an All-Ireland party represented in the European Parliament so that we can ensure that there is no diminution of the centrality of Irish interests in terms of those negotiations. Or no deal. Even in the event of a no deal, there's still going Mm. to need to be provisions put in place to protect the Good Friday Agreement and protect Ireland and to protect jobs in this region. Because we have, and I have, I hope, a track record that speaks for itself in relation to demanding investment in infrastructure so that we can create the jobs in Loud and Mead. Because I've been to train stations, I've been Mm. meeting the commuters going up. It's amazing the people in, in this county who are spending half of their lives in traffic or in public transport to get to work in Dublin. The jobs that they're going to could and should be created in this region, but we need the investment in the infrastructure in order for, for that to happen. You know, The government's answer is to find different ways of putting additional taxes on those people. They're now proposing a carbon tax that'll put an extra thousand euro a year on all of those, uh, those families. Mm. What we're saying is those families need a break they need to be supported but more importantly we need to in the long term be putting in place the type of infrastructure that's required so that we can create the jobs um, on a regional do their, basis. Do their children and grandchildren deserve to have a, a planet to inherit? Oh absolutely and there are a number of um, measures that need to be taken but carbon taxes are just tokenism. They're not going to resolve anything in relation to the um, climate crisis that we're facing and in fact their carbon taxes are simply a way of avoiding taking the big issues which are actually tackling the corporate polluters who are really responsible for the crisis that Mm. we have seen ourselves in. So Sinn Féin in the European Parliament and in the Dáil have a track record that's second to none in terms of putting forward the real policy solutions. But we're not going to stand over a situation where we're watching families in this region Mm. and right across my constituency they're better off than they were five years ago on paper because they're mm. back at work. Um, you know, they, they um, aren't in the crisis situation, but they're just about mm. getting by. Any additional bill creates huge problems. So they're paying their mortgage, they're paying all their household bills. But if an unexpected expense comes along, the washing machine breaks down, something as simple mm. as that, their lives are knocked out of kilter. People who are in households with two incomes coming mm-hmm. into, in, into can, the can, house can, can, should, shouldn't be struggling to make ends meet. And, and, and can they, they connect a, a solution to voting on Friday? 
Yes, they should vote for Sinn Féin because we're the party that have put forward the solutions in relation to childcare, in relation to the housing crisis, in relation to actually public infrastructure. And that's why it's crucially important that when people go to vote, that they're not just voting for the candidate, that they're voting for the set, the set of policy propositions. Because the truth of the matter is, mm-hmm. Fine Gael do well in the European elections and the polls are indicating that they might. Owen Murphy is going to take that as a vindication of his housing policy. Simon Harris is going to take that as a vindication of his health policy. That's not the message that the people okay. of Loud and Mead should be sending to either Dublin or Brussels on Friday. They should be sending a message that we are a great country, but we can be better and we need a different set of policies in order to Very do that. Good. In my view, is that Sinn Féin have those policies. All right. Listen, thanks uh, for coming into us uh, this and morning. You, uh, just before you leave it, just uh, mention to our listeners uh, that you'll be one of uh, the candidates from this constituency who'll be in the television debate this evening and uh, we'll have eight of the candidates with us on Thursday and I hope you'll be able to join I'm us I'm excited well. about it already right. Okay, thank you thank very you, much indeed Matt Carthy Sinn Féin MEP Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. On Friday, you're being asked to vote in uh, the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. Our local election pre-election coverage is uh, to feature debates with candidates from each of uh, the local areas every day in the run-up to polling day. We hope to speak to as many local election candidates as possible. The larger political parties have selected which candidates to put forward or asked LMFM to select candidates by holding draws while independents and others are being chosen to participate through draws. Today we'll hear from four candidates in the Kells electoral area, each of whom will hope to take one of the seven available seats. After the break we'll be debating the issues with Aaron Byrne of Labour, Michael Gallagher of Sinn Féin, David Gilroy, an independent candidate and Paul McCabe of Fianna Fáil. Michael Reed on LMFM. We're with local election candidates in the Kells electoral area today. Aaron Byrne of Labour, Michael Gallagher of Sinn Féin, David Gilroy, an independent candidate, and Paul McCabe of Fianna Fáil. Good morning to all of you, and thank you for coming in to us uh, this morning to debate some of uh, the issues. Uh, We've uh, two sitting councillors with us and two non-elected candidates, uh, so we'll start uh, with uh, the first-time candidates, uh, I think, uh, as it turns out, Aaron Byrne, you're here uh, putting yourself forward for the first time on behalf of Absolutely. the Labour Party. Why have you decided to do that and why the Labour Party? Well, I think that there's, I've seen that there's, a, there's young people in this area are massively underrepresented. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's really nobody speaking for the issues that are affecting young people. affecting my generation and people younger than me. I want to make sure that there's a good, strong voice there that is going to represent those issues and make sure that they're front and centre. Um, why the Labour Party? Uh, well, I've always, I joined the Labour Party in 2013 and um, I've always shared those beliefs of the Labour Party um, that we need to look after workers' rights we need to look after um, women's rights we need to look after um, you know uh, social and economic economic justice and um, make sure that that those things are being looked after and that we're doing it in a fair and equitable way Um, and I believe the Labour Party stands for that and I stand for that and that's that's why I chose Very good Paul McCabe you're a a first time candidate for Fianna Fáil uh, uh, in your particular case uh, but uh, you're no stranger to politics Uh, indeed Fianna Fáil you work for Thomas Byrne I think Absolutely Michael yes Um, I've been working for Deputy Thomas Byrne for the last four and a half years so I suppose through that um, through that I've, I've gained invaluable experience Uh, with dealing with people. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. With various issues and various problems. So I've gained expertise in being able to afford people solid advice mm. Uh, to our constituency office in Kells, which serves the entire area there in North Meath. You didn't get any sense, though. <laughs> I mean, did you not realise <laughs> that this is not a part-time job? This is a, a, a very difficult Absolutely. thing I'm to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm, mm-hmm. Look, I'm passionate about I'm passionate about my, my community. I'm passionate about North Meath. And this is just another way of serving my community. Mm. David Gilroy, uh, would you talk some sense to these first-time candidates? <laughs> uh, or, I mean, have you learned anything over the last five years? Well, that is, that's a fact. Michael, how are you doing, by the way, first of all? Um, yeah, certainly. There is. It's a, it's a learning curve. This is my second um, run, as I suppose mm-hmm. way to put it. Uh, the first five years have been certainly a massive learning curve. There's so much involved in it. Um, you know, it, it, there's there's you're involved as a, as a county councillor, but then also mm-hmm. your own boards, your own committees. You're working with the people who you've always worked with in the community, but you, you're working with as a, as a kind of a conduit to the to the bureaucracy or the system that is the council. But also working across school boards, but different social companies. Uh, learning how best to kind of draw all of the different expertise in which you're in the room with. You're not the expert, you're the person who's surrounded by experts. You know, and you're in a room that you can ask the personal questions that might be, uh, might affect your particular community or your region. Um, you know, and that's something where, you know, a person also has to understand that you have a lot to learn. Um, and that, that, you know, you are not the expert. You are someone there to make mm. a decision based upon the information that you are in a privileged position to be in the room with people who are specialists often in their fields. You know, and that, that's something that I've learned um, over the last five years. It has served myself and my community, I feel well. Um, you know, and I hope it's something that we can continue to do over the next five years. There's a lot more to do, you know, to kind of mm. paraphrase. <laughs> but, um, you know, but there is, you know, it, it, it takes a steady kind of progress. You're not mm. going to go and change the world when you, when you bust in the door of Meath County Council. Yeah. You know, there's relationships that you need to build, um, not only with, with your fellow councillors, but also with the officials. Um, you know, you have to have a relationship of trust and with re- being a reasonable, practical mm. approach to what you're doing, um, you know, and, and, a, and a genuine approach to what you're, what you're doing. If you're going to inc- insist on an increase in spending here, you can't be also calling for cuts there. If you're looking for, for uh, you know, you have to be approach the council mm. um, with, with a reasonable and with a, a practical and, and with a spirit of cooperation. And realistic, realistic is expectation, I, I imagine. Uh, and Michael Gallagher, uh, you're the most experienced, I think, of... Uh, the yeah, politicians yeah, with us here. Yeah, Probably yeah. the most experienced in Cals. Are you? When were you first elected? Or? Uh, 2004. When Eugene Cassius was. Okay, yeah, right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, uh, you've uh, the experience of having had more power uh, as a, a councillor than would be the case today. And whilst it's great to see first-time candidates come forward and put their name uh, into the ring, and hopefully that will continue forevermore. And people are biting at the bit to get going. Sometimes uh, the expectations are not realistic. Well, sometimes the expectations are not realistic and, and the councillors have lost power they've lost 
says it was a formation of Irish water that has been taken away from them. So Irish water is dictating now uh, where where the infrastructure is being put. And I think this is going to have a major effect on the development of Mead, that if if there isn't infrastructure, which we have in Kells mm. at the moment, the wastewater capacity is, is almost full, and this will, de- develop, will stop the development of Kells. Uh, and, and we are... Our power has been eroded, uh, and as somebody that, that uh, is not in power in the council, that we are sometimes fighting against the tide. Uh, but I, I have represented the county. Uh, I've stood uh, North Mead. I have stood against the, the pylons mm. and the, the wind turbines and looked for legislation to be brought in to uh, safeguard the setback from the wind turbines. Uh, uh, I have worked on the roads with Johnny Cork. Uh, we have increased the spending on the, nor- the roads in, in North Mead, and it's an absolute disgrace the way some of the roads are and the people are how to travel on them after paying property tax. We, 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 again, I'd be very disappointed that th- three million of our property tax, the 17, 17 million collected, and three million is given away to to other counties, and we are the lowest. Uh, paid council out of the 31 councillors in Ireland is at the very bottom of the league which is an absolute disaster and mm. poor reflection on our representation at Oroxus uh, level. All right. Uh, I think each of you uh, seem to uh, believe that more could be done at a, a local authority level in terms of promoting tourism for the area. Anybody want to take up on that issue and give us some ideas as to how you could attract people to spend some time in the area? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <coughs> yeah if I might come in on that. Aaron um, there's, there's a huge, absolutely um, massive resources in the county in terms of uh, both from a cultural and historical point of view in terms of what we can do to, to leverage towards increasing tourism in the area. Um, in Kells in particular where I'm from like there's uh, the monastic site there's uh, there's um, Edwardian architecture there's um, stuff outside the town in terms of Colin Kills Wells Colin Kills House there's, there's a huge wealth of sort of historical relevance there and there's a huge burgeoning cultural scene um, with the likes of the Hinterland Festival um, which thankfully is returning this June um, and the likes of the Musical Society and that that I've been involved in that have, that have been active for many years so there's there's a huge amount of and then further up in the mm. constituency up towards Old Castle and that you have uh, Loch Crew and, and, and other things over towards that boy in other parts of the area there's there's absolute wealth of um Tourist potential there, tourism potential, potential. and it okay. needs to be, mm-hmm. you know, it needs to be really aggressively leveraged to create mm. a kind of a well, an overall experience for a tourist, and not just okay, let's open up Conkill's House and just let it be mm. what it is. It needs to be part of an overall program that says well, we'll bring it to Conkill's House and we'll bring it to Lock Crew and we'll bring you around the area in mm. a, in an overall. Here's your guide or here's your map of this is the experience of ancient Mead or mm. you know as part of Ireland's uh, ancient east and uh, David has done great work as um, part of the tourism network as well to push that forward but it really mm. needs to be aggressively um, you know advanced and, uh, now at this stage to make that, it a sort of take a holistic view of it. So is it something that should be adopted by Mead County Council? Well, well it is but the problem Just a step in there yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, chairman, yeah. chairman of Boyne Valley Tourism and have been on the board for the last five years there has been and Boyne Valley Tourism is a promotional body its, it's job is to promote the business and tourism of, of County Meath and County Louth, um, and it's, it's made up of tourism mm. expert, tourism in, industry uh, industry professionals, and also local authority members. So what we've been striving to do over the last five years, and we're making inroads and very substantial inroads into it because it's a very complex mm. series of issues. Mm. Um, you know, it, there's about an engagement of community, so the community understand their own heritage, so they can tell the story. Absolutely. We work closely with Boyne or with Fall to Ireland. Um, you know where we're talking about the new festival, the new Halloween festival, which mm. is coming shortly. This is going to have a massive impact. It's a, a multi-million euro investment. It's 
spreading, claiming the, or not claiming, but spreading the word of Halloween, mm-hmm. originating in the Boyne Valley. These are real things, but we need people. Not only the industry, we need communities, we need the local authority, mm. we need national level. Everyone but, to but, work but doing what? I mean, bringing people to the area for a couple of days in October, I take it. No, that, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. What, what it is, mm-hmm. it's a very, again, it's, it's no, a but very... but when you talk about Halloween... Halloween, but it's a, yeah. Halloween is the second biggest festival in the world. Mm-hmm. We are living in the equivalent... The mm-hmm. first biggest festival, obviously, is Christmas. We are living in the equivalent to um, the North Pole for Halloween, or for, for Christmas. So you'd never suggest for a moment mm-hmm. that Christmas wasn't something just a few days in December. What you're saying, the mm-hmm. economic impact of people continuously, not only coming to uh, in, in October, but also the residue of the course of the year. Everyone's not able to come in October... The the, lar- the the association with Halloween resonates right around the world. Mm. These are things that are that are continuous uh, economic drivers, I suppose is the best way to put it. Because what we're ho- hoping to do is to bring the foreign tourist as well as the domestic tourist, mm. and to create jobs to under underpin the existing jobs, and also to create new jobs. But you're also competing against all of uh, the great tourist attractions in this country, Absolutely. as well as Paris, New yeah. York, Absolutely. Amsterdam, Absolutely. But whatever. I, but again, yeah. what we're doing, we're living, we're living. Eight kilometres from one of the biggest tourist attractions in, mm. in the world. It's a world UNESCO World Heritage Site. Yeah. You know what we're trying to do is to spread that mm. that across our whole Boyne Valley, and it's a complex job. And there's lots of people involved. It's not just Boyne Valley tourism. Mm. I'm sure Michael. Have Paul McKay, do you, do, do you I, think I, you could uh, convince people to go on holidays in Kells? Absolutely, and I, I just want to commend the the work of the Kells and District Tourism Network. Um, some very good friends of mine involved there but there has been difficulty uh, over the last number of months in, in particular in, in particular regard to Columkill's house um, which is a highly significant tourism a historic site um, but there's been serious issues uh, with access um, over the past number of months so I do think that the council certainly have a role to play there along with the OPW in opening up uh, that facility um, opening up to, 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 to the public um, and, and, and to tourists but um, I, I do definitely think that the council have a role to play um, in increasing that tourism product along with, 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 the, with the local effort that's there in Kells um, and across North Meath. Okay, Michael Gallagher undoubtedly this if was successful would feed into employment opportunities and this is a, yeah, a, another it, issue that uh, people in rural Ireland face. It would and I, yeah. I've looked for a meeting with uh, OPW uh, they haven't ca- come into the council chamber I'm totally critical of what they've done in Kells mm. they have made no effort to work with the tourism board and that, that, that too Tower of Light and Colin Kill House uh, is very limited when they're opened and I think that is having a negative effect on, on the town of Kells and the tourism. Uh, I feel that that they should be proactive and working with the council. I'm very disappointed that they haven't come in after uh, requesting them six months ago uh, and even trying to t- to deal with them. They haven't been very cooperative. Uh, just the development of, of North Mead as a tourist <coughs> identity is very important. Uh, back in, 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 say, 20 or 30 years ago, where you had a lot of lakes down mm-hmm. in Dunconnell, Kimena Mud, we had uh, fishing festivals, we had... Uh, tourists coming in from all over the world uh, that needs to be redeveloped and uh, progressed I, I feel North Mead has a lot to offer but if, if you are going to uh, run uh, 70 or 80 uh, uh, pylons down to North Mead it's going to devalue the whole uh, look of the area and I think mm. this will be totally every department needs to be working together to promote Mead and develop it I think everybody with us today is opposed to the North-South interconnector, are they? Absolutely, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, Mac Harty has brought a delegation to uh, Brussels uh, where there's a similar uh, line being 
going from uh, Brussels to Germany, and that's undergrounded, and it's a, it's a private company that's doing it. And one of the reasons they're doing that is because public... Uh, uh, the, the fact that the mm. public are against overhead headlines, they're, they're putting them around. Uh, it's an absolute disgrace that Airgrid has spent over forty million on uh, on on this project already, mm. and there's nothing been done. I, I think there is questions now about the the viability. Is it needed at all with a surplus of, of uh, power in the north? And uh, look, this line will not be built overground, as far as I can see. There's too much resistance to it, and I'm absolutely disappointed. Paul McKay, uh, absolutely, and just to add my voice f- to that, f- Fianna Fáil opposed to this now, but it, it, it was brought forward as uh, well, part Fianna of Fianna Fáil policy. Well, well, Fianna Fáil have, mm-hmm. a, have a very uh, clear record, and I would like to say that Paul McCabe has a very clear record insofar as the North-South Interconnector is concerned. As a 15-year-old, um, I got involved with my own local campaign uh, in Minolte and went out and raised a couple of grand uh, for the effort at the time. So, as I say, my record is quite clear. Um, whatever about the Fianna Fáil record, uh, Paul McCabe's record is very clear in resisting the North-South Interconnector and I was proud to stand alongside uh, the residents of North Meath last Wednesday night at a, at a special pre-election meeting that was held by NEPPC mm. uh, and the absence uh, of Fine Gael representatives at that meeting uh, was was very ominous, I must say. Will you stand alongside your party colleagues or alongside the people of the area who are looking for broadband when it comes to that issue? Because uh, there's a question about uh, the government's plan to deliver it, but surely the people who you hope to represent would argue that what's important is that it's delivered. Absolutely, but I mean, the North-South Interconnector and broadband are not not exclusive. Um, absolutely, I mean the people that I'm meeting on a the people that I'm meeting on a daily basis are crying out for broadband, whatever the cost. Uh, these people, th- these are the same people that pay fifteen or sixteen thousand quid to meet the county council uh, when they go to build a house. They pay their local property tax. They're paying taxes. Uh, the least that they deserve is adequate broadband. And you believe that it should be delivered at whatever the cost? Well, well, I I wouldn't quite say that, but um, I, look at it should be it should be reasonable. Um, but I mean the the national broadband plan uh, they're talking about it could be seven years by the time some houses are connected. Mm. That's just totally unacceptable. And then at the end of the day, uh, the taxpayer is not going to is not going to own the infrastructure. It's it's totally and utterly ridiculous and Fine Gael have made a, a total and utter hames of it. Aaron Byrne of the Labour Party, you said no, it shouldn't be delivered at any cost. It shouldn't be delivered at any cost and it certainly shouldn't be delivered at a massive cost, certainly when it's not going to be held in ownership of the state. Like You're, you're right, these people have paid mm. their taxes, they paid their local property tax, they paid for um, whatever they need to pay when they're building one-off houses in the countryside and... and they're, they're totally upstanding, but their taxes shouldn't be wasted on infrastructure that's going to be just given away to a private um, to a private company. Um, it's a huge... It's, it's, it, it is an important investment in terms of future-proofing both rural Ireland um, and rural uh, towns and villages um, right across the country, but it's, 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 it's hugely important that uh, the state maintains a stake in that um, and we can't just give away €3 billion Euro to um, private investors um, just because uh, certain political parties have made um, unrealistic promises to constituents. Well, if you spend on one thing, I think as somebody said earlier on, yeah, uh, exactly. David Gilroy, actually, yeah, you said earlier on, uh, you've got to give up on something else. Uh, uh, but if you're to spend on broadband, uh, do you think people will be happy sing, sitting at home, comfortable watching Netflix, uh, but 
concern that somebody would break into the house because rural crime is uh, mm. an issue for a lot of there, There's a balance there. A lot of people will be using broadband, not just to be watching Netflix. Of mm. course, there's a huge demand from mm. rural yeah. industry, rural support of, of business. You know, yeah. that, that's, mm. that's a serious side of things. Um, with regards to, a, again, what we're kind of drifting to this, we're, 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 our, as a council, we can lobby, we can, in, in, we can, as members of our local authority, we can stand by, we can say this is what we believe or that's what we believe. What I'm primarily con- interested in is the work of the councillor and the work yeah. that we can actually affect change through. Um, obviously, we can express, I work, I'm on the JPC, uh, Joint Policing Committee for mm. Meath, um, you know, along with a lot of other councillors, a lot of community pillars, and the same issues are coming up all of the time where people are, are, have a sense of, of almost fear, or, mm. or, or you know, where there's a sense and the, and the sense of, of fear and the actual danger. Yeah. From your own perspective, it's the same thing if you feel afraid. There's, you know, so we, we have there's great concerns. The, res, the Gardaí, in my opinion, are doing everything they can. They're very yeah. under resourced in County Meath, they don't have the resources. Again, my question is, and really, it's something that extends beyond the realm of, of, of policing or it extends beyond funding where Sinn Féin today are claiming, or I saw it on my way up today, as opposed to Sinn Féin, the only, only group interested in raising extra money for the county outside the county. That's disingenuous. There's not a single ca- person who's not interested in increasing uh, funding for our county. You know, there's not one single person elected or otherwise who wouldn't, isn't in favour of increasing our spending and the money that the county gets. So all of these issues are related. But my question is, as I said, is why are we at this? Mm. At the, why are we at the low, lower end? Why are we one of the least um, resourced uh, guard districts or divisions? Um, why are these the cases? Uh, why are we affected by the national planning framework? Why, we so, why were we unable to finish our, our um, county development plan this year? Why are these issues affecting County Meath? Now, we together as a council came together around, these, around the national planning framework, which was an issue, around the proposed extension of the draw the boundary into County Meath, where there was an attempt to usurp a lot of our land. <laughs> you know, and that was driven politically by Aaron's friends. You know, so that, that, that would be mm. something around, that would be something that we can affect change. We came together as a council, regardless of our, mm. of our party affiliation. We worked with the officials, we derived a plan, and we presented our argument. And thanks be to God, we were, we were successful because of the combined efforts of everybody within the council. There's not a single person that I know in the council or otherwise who's involved in community life that aren't trying to do something to better their community. Mm. Their aim, how they go about that might vary. Their list of priorities Mm. might be be slightly at odds with each other. But ultimately, the aims and the goals of everybody involved in our job, our prospective job, Mm. are looking just to make the area that we work in, support the people who are doing the work on the ground bringing that, the good news of, the, of, of that work to the council and looking for the council to support that. Okay, Michael Gallagher, come in there. Uh, I, I suppose mm-hmm. one of the big issues that I find is the Navin rail line. You know, in, in the 2040 plan, that's not even in the, in the plan. And we're looking at uh, this global warming and carbon tax. And that, like, if, you were, if the government was serious on that, the first thing they would do is to bring the rail to Navin, even extend it to, to uh, Kingscourt, where we have the rail line there already. Uh, on, on the council as well, uh, I would have come across a serious issue where young people living in, in rural areas uh, can't get planning permission outside the area. People living in O'Connor's or Narborough, if they live in the village, they're, they're not allowed to get planning outside the area. That was changed in... I lobbied that when I got elected in, in 2004. It was changed in the 2009 plan. In the 2014 plan, it's gone back again, that if you live in O'Connor's mm. and you're looking for planning permission, Outside of Connors, you're not allowed, and there's no private development taking place. So again, it's it's the effect on rural Ireland, and this government really has done nothing for rural Ireland. Mm, okay, uh, and uh, when it comes to voting on Friday, uh, what do you think uh, should inspire people uh, in terms of how they cast their vote? Should it be because of party lines, because of personality lines, or because of national issues? 
Well, I, I'd say uh, of local issues, what people have de- de- developed and what they, they see with, with the new candidates, and it's great to see new uh, young people looking to mm-hmm. come, on, come on board. Okay. Uh, but Absolutely. It, it, the, the issue in, in North Mead uh, when, uh, this last five years, has, uh, with me anyway, is a big issue is roads and the state of the roads. Uh, myself and Johnny Gork has looked for uh, more funding and we voted against the budget on every occasion because there wasn't adequate funding okay. or an adequate plan to develop the roads in North Mead. Mm-hmm. Again, we're paying the property tax and, and we're not getting the services we deserve. OK, Michael Keller of uh, Sinn Féin, Alaska, Aaron Byrne of uh, the Labour Party to make a, a closing statement for us now as well. Yeah, well, in terms of what should inspire people to vote, um, I think absolutely it has to be local issues. Like I think David said as well, it's, it were, you know, you, you tend to drift into what's the, the big national issues, and of course they're important. But when it comes to voting on Friday, um, I'm asking for a number one vote for myself, for Aaron Byrne, because I want to focus on local issues and focus on what we can do locally. We talked about rural crime, we talked about those kind of rural issues, and the way to tackle it is to use the powers of local councillors and the local council to invest in the community. So that involves increasing the community policing, uh, increase, and and amazing thing for me is an increase in funding for youth services locally. So I want to fight to set up a, a youth cafe in Kells and in other areas around um, North Mead to make sure that there is proper services and facilities there for young people to get them invested in the community and that will pay dividends back, you know, for generations back into the community to get more people involved and actually mm-hmm. doing the things that are going to improve okay. the local area for the local people. Very good. David Gilroy, uh, perhaps uh, you'd wrap up for us a, a closing statement? Yeah, certainly. Mm. Um, I would encourage people, first of all, come out and vote. That's very important. Mm. Um, regardless of who you vote for, come out and vote. Have your say on the on the issues that are in your area. Um, you know, have your voice heard. Uh, look to your local area. See who who can best affect or support what you're doing. Um, and you know, as I say, every person that's out there is looking to do something good. They're not out to get you. You know, and that's something I would encourage. But you know, there's a job on us as politicians mm-hmm. and as prospective politicians. You know, to to, re- to re- reach that bar and to, and to keep to, to raise. The, the currency that is politics because it's so low at the moment that if we if we don't stand up for us and say these are the positives instead of always focusing on the negatives there's plenty of people who die for us you know focus on the positives as well without okay. without neglecting the negatives but don't define yourself by them Okay and final word uh, to the Fianna Fáil candidate Paul McCabe Well as a native of North Mead and the as, as a native of minority in the heartland of North Mead, I believe that we need strong, fresh and useful representation on Meath County Council. And I believe that I can deliver that. Um, people from pe- The people that I've been meeting over the last number of months are crying out for representation locally on the ground, whether it's in, whether it's in Carrickleck, whether it's in Kilmainham Wood, whether it's in Knobber. People are fed up. People are fed up of only seeing politicians every five years. And I'm determined to, t- to change that. Okay, thank you very much indeed uh, to each of you for coming in to us uh, today. All of uh, the debates are on Facebook Live. If you wish to give a a nod to your supporters as we wrap up with thanks to Aaron Byrne of uh, the Labour Party, Michael Gallagher of Sinn Féin, Independent David Gilroy and Fianna Falls Paul McCabe. Michael Michael Reed Reed on on LMFM. LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to all our listeners. Some response already to the debate uh, from the Kells councillors. Mary got in touch, says, listening into your debate, and I feel that in Meath we should have benefited more from a representation at government level. We have one full minister, two ministers of state and a senator. Yet where is the housing that is so badly needed? 
what has been done to attract jobs to the county. We need to attract more businesses so that people don't have to spend as much time as they do in their cars, Michael, commuting in and out of Dublin and actually get to spend some time in their communities with their families. Okay. That should be a priority. Yeah, maybe the government uh, would argue that uh, things have improved uh, considerably uh, over uh, the course of uh, the last eight years or so. Hugh from Keld says, where's the regional hospital? Where's our train line? And why do the people of North Meath have to pay two tolls on our daily commute to Dublin to work in companies that could be here. Mead is the lowest funded council per capita in Ireland and North Mead has been designated a European region aided area because of the lack of funding and opportunities, says Hugh. All right, well, there hasn't been a a train line since the 1950s, uh, I think, and uh, you don't have to use the motorway. Deirdre feels that they should have shuttle buses in a town like Kells for people who don't have cars or want to travel in and out regularly that they would have shuttle buses available. Okay. Pat from mm. Athboy says in relation to the divorce referendum, Michael, I'm reading about the referendum now in advance of the vote. And it says we're being asked to vote on two things, reducing the divorce time and then for Ireland to, Ireland to accept foreign marriages. But do is it just one foreign 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 divorces? Is it just one vote you have on the day? Mm. I I think that's wrong because it's really two parts, and you may agree with one Mm. part of it, but don't agree with the other, and it's bothering me a little. Mm. Well, I suppose you'd need to uh, agree with both to vote yes or disagree with both to vote no, uh, but that is what you're being asked. Joan from Drogheda was listening into our interview with Matt Carty, the Sinn Fein European election. A candidate and he says she says she is not very happy with his posters that it says on them he's fighting for Ireland and she thinks that that's offensive because he's not fighting for me and thinks it gives out the wrong message using that word mm, okay. fighting for Ireland yeah alright okay so that's so her thoughts an odd, an odd interpretation of it okay mm-hmm. <laughs> alright mm-hmm. we had mm. some response to the interview with uh, Father McFerry yesterday regarding the housing protest mm. Uh, Pat says uh, he wasn't too impressed. He says that every time he listens to the interview, uh, that the interviews that we do with Father McFerry, that he just comes across as whinging all the time and feels that he needs to do more to help solve the crisis whether the, rather than just whinging about it all the time and says that he has the knowledge and needs to play his part to help to try and solve the problem, which is what I thought he was doing. Yeah, well, when you hear about people knocking on uh, Peter McVerry's door at two o'clock in the morning and he, he finds uh, a corner uh, to put out a, a sleeping bag in his house or whatever the case may be and all of the other things that he's been doing over a, a lifetime, I, I think it's very hard to, to come to a conclusion such as that one. And on that same topic, uh, but coming from a different view, Jim from Navin says that he and a number of friends from Meath and Loud attended that protest in Dublin against homelessness on Saturday and that he spoke to Father McFerry there and feels that he's a great man and for the work that he does. Yeah. And then just moving to the elections, Jim says that 
whoever comes looking for my vote, I do want them to come to my door. But I have been let down and felt a bit disappointed, he feels, by the lack of information that some councillors have known. He feels that they don't seem to know the homeless figures when they come to his door or, in fact, the population of Navin even. And he says he expects candidates that are running in the election and who call to his door to know know these things because they are basic facts, he thinks. All right, uh, let's talk uh, about uh, the demon drink now because uh, undoubtedly you've been hearing a, a lot about how Young people start drinking at around 14 years of age in this country and more than a third of uh, people under the age of 25 binge drink on a weekly basis. Uh, The argument to bring about a solution for some is to introduce minimum pricing of alcohol, but Dundalk Chamber of Commerce is saying that we should not do that until it is done in Northern Ireland at the same time. And we're joined by Paddy Ballone, the PRO for the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Good morning to you, Paddy, and thanks uh, for joining us. Good morning, Michael. This morning. Uh, you're a little bit concerned uh, about any move to introduce minimum pricing here first. Yeah, uh, it's the same as with the sugar tax uh, a couple of years ago where uh, the the government agreed to introduce a sugar tax at exactly the same time as the UK. In fact, we had to wait six months for the, to the sink. And we're saying the same thing again, because we would be totally against what the things we would uh, against uh, minors drinking and against binge drinking and everything else like that. We are we would be always arguing for a responsible situation in relation to drink. That's not a debate. Our members and, and the publicans and everybody else we speak to saying, look, we don't have a problem with that at all if it's brought in at the same time as in the north. But if it's not brought in at the same time, what you're going to end up with is two things. First of all, people, ordinary people, just going up north to do their shopping because of the difference in the price. And when they're there, they're going to stay in Sainsbury's or in, in, in Marks Spencer's or wherever else they are, and we're going to lose that trade. And everybody in the dock is going to suffer, whether it's employees working in the shops, in the multiples or the, in, in the off-license or anywhere else, we're all going to lose. But also, it opens up the vista of illegal smuggling or a smuggling situation developing. And that's an unregulated market. And those people who get into that business don't care whether they're selling a can of beer, a cheap beer, to a 12-year-old or an 18-year-old. That is not going to be any of their concern. So it is very definitely not a situation of... Um, not recognising the problem, congratulating the minister on taking an initiative, but he's got to do it. There's no point in closing the front door if he leaves the back door and the windows wide open. Well, we're going to have to look at uh, the statistics uh, because we're going to find out pretty soon as to whether it's effective or not because it was introduced in Scotland a year ago and they're about uh, to publish statistics on consumption of alcohol and that'll give us some insight into the effectiveness of it. But if it's introduced here, regardless of whether it's effective or, or not, uh, it's cheap drink that will no longer be cheap. Uh, it's a more expensive drink uh, that won't be impacted by this. Uh, but just to give people a, an idea, because the BBC are reporting on one brand of cider that uh, a shop has stopped selling in Scotland because of how minimum pricing was introduced a year ago. Uh, it was selling for three fifty. And now it's 11.50, so they just stopped selling it all together. So I suppose the point is is that if it was 3.50 in Urie and 11.50 in Dundalk, you know where you'd go if you wanted to buy it for 
And the problem is, you go up to Newry to buy your 350 can, which would be unregulated, and that's something that we don't want. But you're not going to just simply go up and buy that and then come back. You're going to do your weekly shopping. You're going to spend money there. Now, you know, Newry and the Dock will, will live side by side, and we will support each other when we can. But we cannot give that level of a competitive advantage to Newry without screaming about it. Um, if it's £11 in both the Dock and Newry, I'm not going to complain. Okay. Uh, I have no problem with that whatsoever, but I have a serious problem because it's not. People are not going to go up and buy a drink and then say, "Well, I, I'm going to go back mm. home to the dock and do my patriotic duty uh, of supporting the town by by, by by doing my rest of my shopping in the dock." That's naive, at the least, mm. to say the least. You know. Yeah, you go up and get your cider and your cornflakes and, uh, and your, your milk and bread and whatever else. Correct. Yeah. All yeah. right. And okay. that's the concern we would have. All right, Paddy, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning. Paddy Malone, PRO, with uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Now back uh, to some more of the calls that have been coming to us, Marie. Pat from Carrick Cross phoned in. Not something we've been talking about today, but he rang in just in relation to car insurance and what he sees as the wrong be done to people who move abroad when they lose their no claims bonus if they're away for a year or more. He says it happened to a daughter of mine a couple of years ago and another friend of his has just come back and discovered that he's lost his no claims bonus after being away for just over a year and he's just wondering what the justification is for this and how can insurance companies just decide this? He feels that there just needs to be more regulation Mm, in relation to it. So that's it. And then finally, Theresa says that in relation to elections, what is concerning her at the moment is housing and health. And it's her opinion that the ministers of both are just not doing their jobs properly even. And she feels that it's time for a bit of a reshuffle. Hmm. Okay. So there you go. There could be an election yet, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, there could be. God, if we don't have a, a, enough voting <laughs> to do as it stands. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Marie, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch. Uh, we may find uh, some more time to come back to some more of the calls before we finish up today. But if you'd like to add to what's been said, you can ring Marie or Maggie now on 1850 715 958. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navin Station joins us for the report this week. And we begin in Drogheda, where Garda are investigating a robbery. That's right. Good morning, Michael. On Wednesday, the 15th of May, at approximately 9pm, Garda received a call of a panic alarm at Boyle Sports on Shop Street in Drogheda. And when the Garda arrived at Boyle Sports, they were informed that a robbery had taken place. Now we have a description of the two men who carried out this robbery and the first man was wearing a dark grey jumper, dark grey tracksuit bottoms and a red scarf covering his face. The second man was wearing a light grey jumper, black tracksuit bottoms with blue stripes and his runners had red laces. The first man also had a knife and he demanded money from an employee at the counter and both men then left with a sum of money. So the Guardian Drada are appealing to listeners this morning who may have been on Shop Street last Wednesday evening at approximately 9pm. It's a busy street and with the descriptions given it might just jog somebody's memory. And anyone who feels they have information on this, the Guardian Drada would appreciate any help. Some criminal damage in Dundalk to report on next. That's right. On Saturday night last, that's the 18th of May, at 11pm, the homeowner in this case was in her house in Dularghi Avenue in Merhevenamore in Dundalk when she heard a smash and she checked out what caused it and saw that her front window had been smashed and that there were flames in the room, and which actually turned out to be a petrol bomb that had been thrown in.
So the Guardian are keen to progress this investigation and would appreciate any help our listeners might have. Again, this occurred last Saturday night at 11pm on Dularghi Avenue in Merhevna Moor in Dundalk. Also, if people prefer to use the Garda Confidential Line, it's always available on 1-800-666-111. Burglary to report on next. Uh, This happened in Trim. Yes, in the early hours of last Thursday morning, approximately 2.20 to 2.30am at the top petrol station in Bechtov Trim, a burglary took place. Entry was gained here through the rear door, having broken the shutter device, and a sum of money was taken from the office. So we have CCTV footage which shows two men entering the premises just after 2.20am and leaving about 10 minutes later. Now, unfortunately, we've no details of any vehicle used or direction of travel. So just to recap, it occurred in the early hours of last Thursday morning between 2 and 2.30am at the top service station in Bechtov Trim. And the Guardian Trim are investigating here and would ask anyone listening this morning if they were in this area around this time or any time leading up to the break-in and perhaps they recall seeing anyone that appeared suspicious to contact Trim Guardie who would welcome any information. Back to Drada and uh, the latest incident of uh, uh, shots being fired at a house in the town. That's right. Just after midnight last Wednesday, the 15th of May, Gardaí were called to a house at Beechwood Drive in Drogheda, where two blasts of a shotgun were fired into a house. The first shot came through the front door and the second through the sitting room window. There were occupants in the house at the time, but thankfully uh, no injuries were sustained. So if anyone recalls being in the vicinity of Beechwood Drive in Drogheda on Tuesday night into Wednesday morning and feels they may have some information that they could assist the Gardaí, please contact Drogheda Garda Station or, as I mentioned previously, the Garda Confidential Line 1-800-666-111. And we'll conclude uh, today in Navin, where Gardaí are investigating uh, how some criminal damage occurred. Yes, on Sunday night, which was the 19th of May at 8pm at Mullaboy Industrial Estate in Navin, Gardaí came across a large amount of smoke coming from the industrial estate. They then investigated further and discovered that three containers on a building site had been set on fire. And the cost of this damage was very significant. And so the Gardaí and Navin are very keen to ascertain the circumstances of the fire. So if anyone listening was in Mullaboy Industrial Estate on Sunday last, around or before 8pm, to contact the Gardaí and Navin with any information or details, no matter how small, that could assist us with this investigation. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navin Station. And uh, just to, to remind you that if you do wish to give information to the Gardaí on a confidential basis, uh, the confidential line is one 800 one And we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, before we leave you today, we'll go back uh, to some more of the comments that have been coming to us. And uh, you've uh, heard from some more people, I think, Marie, have you? I have indeed, Mike. Some uh, further people have been in touch, but if I can just go back to mm. our interview yesterday with um, Paddy McGahan, we had a bit of response to that, and I'll, I'll just read out one from Anne who says that she was listening in to the interview and that she could still feel the hurt um, in him, and that she just wanted to say that by him coming forward, he has probably encourage others who may be in a similar situation uh, to do the same and she just thinks it's very brave to mm. speak out and at Paul, a time like this. Paddy McGann uh, raped and uh, abused by an alleged member of uh, the IRA in a Republican safe house in Loud, his family home uh, and uh, telling us uh, how not only has he survived it but uh, how Seamus Marley has uh, been sent to prison for seven years as a consequence of his actions. 
going back to the European elections, Tony got in touch and he says, in relation to your coverage, he is wondering why so many sitting TDs are deciding that Europe is the all-important place to be all of a sudden, despite being in domestic politics for some years, one even defying his party leader's wishes that he would remain in national politics. And he thinks that what we're not really discussing on this show is the amount of money that the MEPs are being paid. He says that, did you see the enormous expenses that were published over the weekend, that on top of the salary could make it uh, a quarter, he's saying Mm -hmm. a quarter of a million euro at least. And uh, that's a guesstimate. And he says, but not one of the candidates would admit to being attracted by this enormous sum. And they act as if they don't know the figures involved when asked in live debates. Not only that, but they say, well, I think it's too much. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the point he wanted to make. Very good. Uh, Betty contacted us in relation to housing and says that the council should have learned their lessons in relation to this and the selling of homes to tenants. She feels the council should only rent out houses and at least then they would have some houses in the future for people to continue to live in whereas if they're selling them off then they go into private ownership. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. if you get mm-hmm. that point on that. Good, yeah. mm-hmm. Have we time for one more? Is yes. time up? Yeah, yeah. Pat mm-hmm. from Navin just on the phone as I was coming in mm. I literally had to hand the phone to Maggie. He phoned in not too happy not with the, the candidates but with the posters going back to that and he says it's just because they're on so many crossroads mm. and roundabouts that it particularly annoys him where they are located because it's blocking his vision. Mm. So that's his thoughts on it. Well, there's no doubt. And uh, I suppose we hear from people every year uh, complaining about where posters are and uh, they can be put in inappropriate places. uh, But... uh uh, hopefully uh, in time uh, that uh, will change. But I I don't think uh, I'd agree with the idea of getting rid of them altogether. Would you? I wouldn't either. Mm, Uh, But I I do think a designated area Mm. would be good. And I think maybe they are up for a bit too long. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you just see in some areas you often see three posters of the same candidate in mm. one spot and I just don't understand that <laughs> OK well they'll be down soon enough in the next uh, week or a little bit more than that uh, they'll have to come down but uh, we leave it there for the moment because our time is out thanks for that Marie thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us uh, remember there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website lmfm.ie this afternoon thanks to Marie Kearns for producing Maggie McGuire for researching and Chris Marie in the control term I'm Michael God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. Brought to you with Cartmacross Cross Credit Union, where a student loan can help you finance your further education. Call to Cartmacross Cross Credit Union on Neal Street or at cartmacrosscu.ie.